I want to tell you that the Scripture couldn't be clearer about the issue of life and death, heaven and hell. But in our anxiety to accommodate, in our anxiety to compromise, in our anxiety of not offending anybody, we have compromised these truths, these biblical doctrines that are as clear as the sunshine. In the life of this great man of God, Elijah, we're going to see today how he went straight up to heaven from earth. Why? Because he was a man who walked with God. He was a man who obeyed God. He was a man who trusted in God and in His Word. He was a man who feared God with all of his heart. Despite of his temporary defeat, despite of his temporary depression, despite of his temporary discouragement, Elijah, like all of those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, was taken to eternal life in heaven. So many of the surveys that are conducted in America, among the population in general, the vast majority of people think that everybody, when they die, they'll go to heaven. Now I want to tell you, I wish that was the case. I mean, there is not a bone in my body that wants to see anybody go to hell, but the truth is the truth, and the truth is not everybody's going to heaven. This is a lie from the pit of hell. That Satan delights to spread out in the population. Why? To keep people from turning to Christ. To keep people from turning to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He wants to keep them going on their way to hell. And therefore he blinds them to that truth. So many of unbelievers out there are deceived in thinking that they can go to heaven without Jesus. Listen to me. Read my lips. (laughs) It is absolutely no, not, never. It's impossible that anyone will get to heaven without faith and surrender of one's life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Regardless of your church affiliation, regardless of your family connection, regardless of your your head knowledge of what you know, regardless of your moral and ethical stand, you can only get to heaven if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You only go to heaven when you come to the point in your life when you acknowledge that I am born a sinner and I will die a sinner unless I recognize that Jesus paid for my penalty of my sin. I'm reminded as I looked through this and Elijah going to heaven and as I began to look in this passage, I was reminded of that great vision that this man of God, John Wesley, once had. John Wesley probably touched the world in a very unique way. And one day he had this vision, and the vision is that he went to the very gate of hell, and he talked to the gatekeeper, and he said, do you have Catholics in hell? And the gatekeeper said, oh yes, many. He said, do you have Episcopalians in hell? He said, oh yeah, we have many. Do you have Presbyterians here? He said, yes, many. He said, do you have Baptists? He said, yes, we have many Baptists here. Reluctantly, and you can understand why. And literally in sorrow in his heart, he said, do you have Methodists here? And the answer was the same, yes, we have many. And then in sorrow, he felt that God was privileged him to go straight into the gates of heaven. And he began to talk to the angel, and he said to the angel, he said, do you have Catholics here? And he said, no, not one. He said, do you have Episcopalians here? He said, not one. He said, do you have Presbyterians? He said, no, not one. Would you have Baptists here? He said, no, not one. And again, very reluctantly, Wesley asked, and you can understand why. 
He said, do you have any Methodists here? And the answer was the same. No, not one. And out of exasperation, he asked, who do you have here in heaven? And the angel said, all of those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. All of those who have come under the cleansing power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ die, there is no waiting room. There is no waiting time. There is no purgatory. There is no clawing your way up. Uh, Somebody can pray for you down here and then you'll make it up there. No, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible said that absence from the body, it is at home with Christ. It is instantaneous. It is immediate. It is checking out of here and checking in there. It is once to die. The Lord Jesus Christ, and don't you ever forget, He coexisted with the Father before all the foundation of the earth. He was in the Godhead when the world was created, was created by Him, through Him. Before He was in the human body, the God-man, Jesus Christ, He knew everything. And He said in Luke chapter 16 that when Lazarus died, He went straight into paradise. But when Dykes died, He went straight into Hades. There's only two locations That you can choose to go to. God has given us a choice only between two locations. There is no third. It is heaven or hell. The choice is yours. Which choice have you made? You can make that choice today. If you die today, you can be sure that you're going to heaven. Now people say to me, isn't that arrogance? To say that if you die today, you're going to be in heaven. I want to tell you, I had clergy, members of the clergy were sitting in my office and saying that. I shudder for the people under whose pulpits they sit. And I said to one of them, I said, my dear friend, let me ask you something. If you ask me to come to dinner to your home tonight, would it be arrogance of me to take you at your word? Would it be arrogance of me to trust your word? Would it be arrogance for me to know that when I come to your door tonight and knock that you'll open the door and you invite me in? Would that be arrogance? You're not going to heaven because of how good you are. You're going to heaven because Jesus said so. And there is no reason for me to doubt you, a human being who can go back in your word. How much more God who never goes back in his word. Jesus said, those who come to me, in no way will I reject. Jesus said, those who come to me in repentance and faith will be with me where I am. They will be in heaven. Therefore, it is not arrogance to believe God's word. It is not arrogance to take him at his word. It is not arrogance to place confidence in the word of God and the promises of God. Please listen carefully. People who ask such questions... And I know if you ever talk to anyone about the Lord, this is a very common misconception. It is a faulty and false premise. But when they ask such a question, in their mind, this is how they think. They think that you saying that I am good enough to go to heaven. And that is why I'm sure. But they've completely blown it. They're not thinking the right way. And if that's the case, yes, it would be arrogance to say that. I am not good enough to go anywhere near heaven. I have no goodness to get me even on the road to heaven. But I go to heaven based on the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who has invited me in. The Bible from cover to cover tells us 
that it is only through faith in the Lordship and the Lord Jesus Christ that anyone will make it to heaven. Therefore, this nice perception, it may feel good, it may feel mushy, but I want to tell you it is deceptive to think that everybody's going to make it. That is deception. And please uncover it with me. Elijah was a man who walked with God. And now it is time for him to be in the presence of the Lord. When the time came, God decided that Elijah, like Enoch, is going to go straight to heaven. He will not see an earthly grave, but he is transformed to a heavenly body on his way up. You see, Paul said that this flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Paul said this is a corruptible tent that we live in. And therefore it goes to the ground and rot just like the seed goes into the ground. You never see it anymore. But in heaven for the believers when you get up there, Jesus has a body that is prepared for you. A heavenly body. A body like the Lord Jesus Christ after the resurrection. A body that's free of pain. A body that's free of battles. A body that's free of agony. A body that is free. But God in His mercy and God in His grace... He did not allow Elijah or Enoch to rot in the ground. I want to tell you that tent came undone on his way up there and fell to the ground, symbolic of the mantle that fell off him. So he goes up to heaven. His corruptible body fell to the ground. Incorruptible body was prepared for him in heaven. His mortal body was literally dissolving as he was going up because he received an immortal body. This perishable gave way to the imperishable. As we looked at this series of messages entitled, How God Works, we have seen in the life of this man how God works. We have seen how God hid Elijah in Cherith Brook. We have seen how God provided for Elijah supernaturally in the middle of the heart of Baal worshiping country. We have seen how God performed miracles in Zarephath. We have seen how God performed miracles on Mount Carmel. We have seen how God ministered to Elijah when he was depressed, when he was discouraged, when he wanted to die. God ministered to him at every need. And then we have seen how God restored him to a ministry to the, even the next generation of Israelite kings. And today we see God taking him home, taking him to the very presence of the Lord. Turn with me, if you haven't already, to 2 Kings chapter 2. Elijah has been given a word from the Lord. And now he said it's a matter of hours before he's going to be propelled into the presence of God. But before that, he goes into a missionary journey. He goes out and he visits three seminaries that he has helped found. Three Bible schools in three different cities where the sons of the prophets, these are all students of Elijah. He goes over there and he says goodbye to every one of them before he takes off and goes into the presence of God. Elisha, his understudy, Elisha, his disciple, Elisha, who's his heir apparent, would not leave him. He goes with him wherever he goes. Every time they go to town, he said, look, you stay here. He said, no, sir, I'm going with you. He said, now you stay here. He said, no, I'm going with you. And these towns that Elijah has visited with Elisha in tow have significance 
within them and in the sequence in which he visited them. I want you to listen very carefully. Mark them in your Bible because they are important. They are the three stages in which every believer goes through. First, in verse 1, he went to Gilgal. From Joshua chapter 4, we know what Gilgal is. Gilgal represented the place of beginning. Gilgal represented the place of security and safety. Gilgal represented the place of communion and sharing with God. Gilgal represented the place of preparation. And in Joshua chapter 4, Gilgal became engraved in every mind of every Jew. You say, why? Because there, Joshua piled up 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And he said to them, he said, in the future, when your descendants ask you and say, what are these stones stand for? He said, tell them that this is where God dried up the river Jordan in order that God's people might cross over and go into the promised land. Gilgal is a symbol of preparation. And there Elijah was remembering the beginning of his obedience to the Lord God. It's the time when God gave him a challenge and he said, get up and go to Ahab. And he said, yes, Lord. That is the symbol of his preparation. It's the symbol of his obedience to the Lord when he called him initially. From Gilgal, he goes to Bethel. Mark it again. Elisha close on his heel. Bethel is a place of altars. Bethel means the house of God. Abraham, when he came out of Egypt in repentance and turned back to God after he lied in Egypt, he offered a sacrifice in Bethel. Jacob offered a sacrifice in Bethel. Bethel is the place of heart searching. Bethel is the place of self-examination. Bethel is the place of putting whatever is precious to your heart, whatever you're holding on to, whatever you're clinging on to, and God says that. Whatever that is, God wants you to put that on His altar. That is Bethel. Let me ask you this. What is it that God has been saying to you? Put that on the altar for me. Put that on the altar for me. Not because God wants it or God needs it, but because you do. From Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho. Jericho represented battles. For there, Joshua led the people of God into a supernatural victory when they shouted and God got the walls to fall down. Jericho is the place where God supernaturally gave victory in battle. And there Elijah stood there and he remembered. He remembered his battle in his own life. He remembered the battles with the prophets of Baal. He remembered the battle with Jezebel and with Ahab. He remembered the battle of discouragement, the battle of depression, and the battle of despondency. He remembered the battle of injustice that took place when Naboth the Jezreelite was killed for no reason except greed. And there he remembered the battles. And I guarantee you in my own heart, I'm convinced Elijah's saying, I am so glad the battle is over. Gilgal into Bethel, into Jericho, and into Jordan, the departure point. Some of you are in the place of beginning. Some of you in Gilgal. Some of you in the beginning in your Christian walk. Some of you have begun your process of sanctification. 
you are symbolically speaking in Gilgal right now. Then others of you are making your way into Bethel. And there you are building an altar for God. And there you're hearing the voice of God telling you to sacrifice. There you're hearing the voice of God and saying, the reason you feel that there's dryness in your Christian walk, the reason you feel that heaven is like iron and the earth is like brass, is because you're not obeying me and sacrificing in Bethel. That sacrifice might be a torn home. That sacrifice might be a broken romance. And that sacrifice might be a shattered dream. That sacrifice might be a lost job or a lost career. That sacrifice might be a loss of a loved one. Whatever it is, hand it over to the Lord. Don't ever, 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 ever forget that when you are standing there at Bethel offering your sacrifice, God is doing His work in your life. But then there's some of you who already been to Gilgal and you've been to Bethel and now you are in Jericho. You have known even the places of victory in battle and after battle. It may have been a battle in your own home and God gave you victory. It may have been a battle of your son or your daughter who turned away from the Lord and God brought them supernaturally to the kingdom. It may have been a battle through where you have wrestled in doubt and you have wrestled in fear with God, that you have wrestled with unbelief and disbelief, and now you've made it across the river. It may have been a battle in prayer where God is telling you to spend time with Him. It may be a battle of sensuality. Whatever it is, the battle, whatever Jericho you're in, God, if He has given you victory in the past, you know what He wants to give you victory again. And He wants you to look back at the past victory and know that the one who gave you that victory in that day wants to give it to you again. I want you to notice that Elijah wanted to go and walk in these places alone. You remember back after Mount Carmel, he was so discouraged. He got to Beersheba, and he put his other servant, the one before Elisha, and he said to him, he said, you stay here, and I'm going to go alone. And when he got there alone, he said to God, take my life. He was so discouraged. He was so despondent. You remember I told you that had the servant been there, Elijah probably would not have been discouraged because this young man would have reminded him of the goodness of God. And here again, he wants to do it alone. But Elisha, God bless him, Elisha would not let him go alone. Elisha, out of sense of love and out of sense of loyalty and out of sense of commitment, out of sense of devotion, he would not let him walk there alone. Such friendship and such commitment, such devotion is very rare indeed, but it is also blessed indeed. For later on you're going to see how Elisha received double portion of Elijah's spirit. Let me stop here for a moment and tell you this. If you have one person who walks with you into Gilgal, who walks with you into Bethel, who walks with you into Jericho, you are blessed indeed. But if you don't, listen to me please, I would urge you to take time to cultivate a person who would walk with you, not only to Gilgal, not only to Bethel, not only to Jericho, but all the way to Jordan. A man should choose a man, and a woman chooses a woman. When they got to the Jordan, the point of departure, as the gust of wind began to blow, Elijah's mantle falls, and Elisha picks it up. And when the departing moment came, Elijah, the mentor, 
Elijah, the discipler, turns to his disciple, Elisha, and he says, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? What are you going to ask me? You know, I love Elisha's boldness. I really, really do. I just love it. I have been praying for God to give me such boldness. You know, his attitude could have been, oh, shucks, I don't need anything. I'm not worthy to receive anything. But he didn't do that. Look at his response. He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. Praise the Lord. Now, this language is very familiar to the Old Testament. The older son receives double portion of his father's inheritance. Why? Because he's supposed to take care of his mother, the widow, and he's supposed to take care of the little ones. So he received double portion. And therefore, that's not a strange thinking. When Elisha said to Elijah, give me a double portion of your spirit, he knew exactly what he was asking. It wasn't an easy thing, but he got it. If the Lord Jesus Christ will start walking, come and sit next to you, and he says to you, call you by name. He says, what can I do for you? What is it that you're asking of me? What would you ask for? What would you say? Think about this for a long, long time. Elisha could have asked for power to call down fire from heaven. But he didn't ask for that. He could have said, give me power to raise the son of widows. But he didn't ask for that. This wise man of God, he asked for the Spirit of God that dwelt in Elijah to dwell in him. And he asked for the Spirit of God in abundance. James tells us that you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask wrongly. I believe that that when it comes to God's work, when it comes to God's glory, God wants us to ask for big things. God expects us to come to Him and ask for an ocean. But instead we go to God and we bring Him a thimble. And God says, why a thimble? I want to bless you. I want to use you. God wants you to come to Him at times and ask for a mountain. And we come to Him and ask for more hill. When you read on the life of Elisha, you're going to discover that God answered His prayer exactly, specifically. For Elijah performed four miracles, but Elisha performed eight. What a great God we have. Dare to ask God for big things. Dare to ask God for great things. Dare to ask God for mighty things. He wants to do it. It is your lack of faith that's stopping it from coming through. You know, when it comes to the work of God, when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to salvation of souls, when it comes to equipping of the saints, when it comes to impacting the world for Jesus Christ, I want to tell you, I am the first among the naming and acclaiming it. (laughs) Something struck me as I was working my way through this passage. When Elijah was privileged to be lifted up on the way to heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ himself after the resurrection and spending time with his disciples, he was ascended into heaven. This is a series entitled How God Works. (laughs) But notice how in both cases the witnesses were personal disciples. 
not the lost crowds. Listen, if I was entrusted to stage Elijah's going up in the whirlwind man alive, I wanted to bring the Israelites' royal family there. I would have wanted to bring the leftover prophets of Baal there. I mean, I want to bring everybody there. I want to say, see? <laughs> but thank God, this is not serious about how Michael Yusuf works, but how God works. If I was in charge of staging the Lord Jesus Christ's ascension into heaven, man, I tell you, I would want to have some people there. I want to have Pontius Pilate there, and especially I want his wife there. You know why? Because I knew she's going to turn to him and say, I told you so. I would want to have Caiaphas the high priest there. I would want the Roman soldiers who nailed him to the cross there. I would want the crowd who said, give us Barabbas. I want them to be there. But God didn't work that way. God does not work this way. These moments were reserved only for the eyes of faith. These moments were reserved only for those who determined to live by faith and walk by faith and not by sight. I want you also to notice That when Elijah was taken up to heaven, his mantle, spirit, fell on one man, Elisha. Oh, but when the Lord Jesus Christ was ascended to heaven, the Bible said, He gave the gift of the Holy Spirit to all who desire it. I want to end this series of messages where I've began this message. Namely, that if you truly desire heaven in the hereafter... You have to walk with God in the here and now. Jesus said only the Father knows the hour. And I live every day as if Jesus will come back today. But here's the question. If you were to die and you go and face the Lord Jesus Christ, what would you say to Him? If you look in His eyes, the one who died for you, the one who paid the price of your sin and saved you and redeemed you, what will you say? Now, if your answer is, I'm not sure I'm going to go to heaven, you can be sure today. Just take God at His word. That's all I'm asking you to do. But if you have known the Lord Jesus Christ and you have walked with Him, what would you say when you see Him eye to eye? Would you say, I'm sorry, Lord, I was indifferent. I'm sorry I was cold. I'm sorry I was busy. I'm sorry I didn't realize your kingdom needed me. I'm sorry. Will you apologize for all these things? Or would you say, Lord God, I've given you my all. I've given you my all. The Word of God tells us that there's not a single member in the body of Christ that is not important to Him and to His work and to His kingdom. We all offer different gifts, but each of us can offer something. Could you say, Lord Jesus, I have given you my all. May that be the prayer of my heart and your heart today. When the time came for the Apostle Paul to go and face the Lord Jesus, there was no regret. He said, I fought the good fight. And therefore, he knew that crown is awaiting him. Lord Jesus Christ, you're the searcher of our hearts. You're the examiner of our motives. We love you. If we spend eternity 
to say thank you for saving our souls from eternal damnation and hell is not going to be enough. If we spend the rest of our lives just say thank you will not be enough. And therefore, Lord, we stand in gratitude and in thanksgiving to you for what you've done in our lives. And Father, the times we don't know exactly how to go about this, but Father, it is a matter of availability. And as we stand available, we ask you in the name of the Lord Jesus not to delay the time of speaking to our hearts and showing us exactly how you want us to serve you. But Father, we know that you want us to put everything on the altar. And Lord, I'm for one. I put my whole self on the altar. And Lord God, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that as those of us come in agreement to come to Bethel, that you will honor that and give us a harvest for which we prayed and which we anticipate. For Father, we pray that in that mighty name, the strong name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.